Welcome to the Weekend Blitz with Philip Jordan. What were the biggest headlines of the week? What are the big weekend matchups? Writer and producer Philip Jordan and his guests break it all down over the next two hours. Now, grab the beverage of your choice and let's kick this show off. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the debut episode of the Weekend Blitz. I am your host, Philip Jordan, and studio host and producer for Nothing Football on 96.9 The Legend, and also writer for Last Word on College Football. I'm really excited, happy you are here, uh, checking out the maiden voyage of this brand new show. Come to you every Saturday morning on YouTube from 8 a.m. Central to 10 or a little after uh, Central, uh, but uh, glad you're here. Of course, podcast listeners, the show goes up on Apple, Spotify, all the favorite podcast platforms. Uh, you can check that out as well. And please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Uh, we really be appreciated. On the reviews, I do read them. I will read them on a future edition. We won't do it here, but we will be doing some mailbag and some questions from you. Uh, so if you want to ask the show. And uh, that's going to be a big part of the show down the road. Not today, not the first episode, but it will be a big thing here on the show. And we're stacked. Episode one, the show is stacked. Um, four great guests. I'm really excited for you to hear these guys or see these guys that I'm going to be talking to today on episode one. Jeff Colhane, he is the voice of the Florida State Seminoles. He will be up first. Uh, I will talk to him about broadcasting career his journey and we'll also get into last year with the Florida State Seminoles and this year preview this year's team then we'll get into the ACC and the Pac-12 uh, with last word on college football managing editor Tony Saracusa uh, when originally I asked Tony to come on I just thought we would just stay in the ACC but with his past with the Pac-12 and everything going on over there I figure okay we I have to have Tony on uh, we have to have that conversation when he's on the show so We'll talk about that as well. And ACC kickoff or ACC media days was this week. We'll talk about that. Tony covers Wake Forest. So we'll, we'll talk about them as well. Of course, you know, remember they lose Sam Hartman, who's now going to Notre Dame to be the quarterback up there. So then in the second half of the show, we will talk with Chris Gordy from Locked On SEC. I know it's been over a week since SEC days, media days ended, but we will talk with Chris. He was there at media days just his overall thoughts, you know, the announcement of going to Dallas next year, being a national this year, how was that? Uh, the favorites of this league, just the storylines, different teams. We'll talk Alabama, we'll talk Auburn, we'll talk a little Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. And then to close out the show, we'll transition into the National Football League. Good friend, he's been on so many different shows I've done, Matt Barbado from the betting pros and fancy pros. We will preview the AFC East. So in our lead up to college football season, a lot of team previews, conference previews, but also each week we'll try to preview one of the NFL divisions as we head into football season. Now, everybody says, is this a football-only show? No, we will get into basketball at times here on the show as well. It's just, look, we're about to hit August. Football season is almost here. So when football's going on, football is going to obviously be the most important thing, but we will not neglect basketball. There's no basketball guest on the show today. Probably won't be any next week either, but when something happens in college hoops, preferably I prefer college basketball over the NBA, 
But when stuff like that happens, then we'll transition to that. And especially after football season, college basketball will become a big part of the show. And we'll, we'll sprinkle that in during football season, too, as well, uh, when they get going. Also, so uh, that's pretty much the menu for the show. Like I said, I put on social media on Friday night. It's a stacked show. It is a very stacked show, and I'm very excited uh, for it. Uh, real quickly, just remember if you want to follow me on social media, P Jordan SCC, very easy to find, especially on Twitter. I guess we're still, are we still calling it Twitter right now? I, I'm going to go with that till I'm told otherwise. So follow me on Twitter over there. And like I said, you can check out the show on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple and Spotify, especially. We're on YouTube on the Philip Jordan Media YouTube channel. Uh, just check that out. Show goes up on there every single week. Um, and the, the interviews will be sprinkled as individual videos later on as well. And the podcast, the audio is split in two parts. I just feel like it's very, I guess it can be intimidating for podcast listeners if they pop in and say, oh, man, this podcast went two hours or two and a half hours. Um, that's a pretty long commitment. But if you kind of split it up in maybe two hour, a little over an hour episodes, a little bit not as daunting when you look at it. And I, I've done it with some of the podcasts I listen to. I was like, wow, they went two plus hours here. This is going to be a long show, but when it gets split up, you're like, okay, for some reason, your mind thinks, hey, it's not as bad. It's not as bad. A little over an hour. But anyways, that's kind of how the audio uh, thing will do. So maybe maybe I should put the full show up. I don't know, but I'll also split up in hours. I don't know. It, it, it is it is trial and error here on the first episode of the Weekend Blitz. But um, before we jump into the guests, look, um, most weeks I will have a longer open than this. Uh, that what I'm about to do now. This is the open. That was just letting you guys know what's going on. I normally will do a longer open. Like I said, just said, I will longer, usually do a longer open. Um, went 30 minutes with pretty much every guest. Uh, almost 40 there with Tony. So you're going to enjoy that. But I, I want to say this, just the news of the week. And going into this, when you do a Saturday show, this is not my first rodeo with a Saturday show. I've done this in the past. A couple years ago, I was at an ESPN affiliate here in Dothan, Alabama. I had a Saturday morning show. That was only an hour. But you kind of, as the week goes on, you see stories, you see headlines, and you're kind of like, okay, is this what I want to open the show with, or is these multiple things, something I want to open the show with? And honestly, going at the beginning of the week, I said, okay, ACC kickoff is this week. Big Ten Media Days also are this week. Somewhere in there, we could jump into that. And then as the week goes on, okay, Jim Harbaugh, the four-game suspension. I said, okay, that could be something I could jump into. One, it's, it is what it is. The four games are easy. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be fine. So then that happens. And then I was like, okay. But now the Colorado stuff drops. And I was like, okay, that's got to be my open. And now we will get more in detail with this with Tony when he comes on the show just because, like I said, in the open there, his past, his history – uh, covering the Pac-12, just Tony just knows so much about college football, so we we go it we'll go at length. We'll get m- more in depth with Tony on this, but I just want to talk about it for a few minutes, then we'll jump into the interviews. Colorado heading back to the Big Twelve. I, I just it just sounds right to me. Uh, can Nebraska, Missouri go back? And not my SEC brothers, no, we lose a team. You'll uh, find somebody. Uh, we'll, 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 there's there's some other stuff in here that that could be. Fixed if Missouri wanted to go back to the Big 12, where it just makes sense. Same thing with Nebraska. Nebraska has never felt right in the Big 10. I'm just sorry. I mean, that that was – I'm not going to get into that. It's going to make this open a whole lot longer. 
But Colorado heading to the Big 12. And Colorado's a much bigger brand right now than they were this time last year. Um, Colorado, you, you just look at them and what they were. It's okay. One of the worst, if not the worst program in the Pac-12 last season. Um, what value does this program bring? How valuable was it to the Pac-12? But then you hire Deion Sanders, primetime, Coach Prime. So you bring him in. So now, automatically, your program is a bigger deal. Uh team that was very bad last year he's he's changed already the national attention to colorado uh, nobody cared this time last year nobody cared during the regular season last year about colorado but when you bring dion in that changes things so now you look at it too people are going to want to put colorado on tv um and then just the fumbling of the pac-12 and it's one of the things, too, when I look at the Pac-12 and the Big 12, I look at two conferences that had similar things happen to them. Not exactly the same, but similar. We know two years ago what had happened when, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, they're leaving, they're going to the SEC, where they're putting the Big 12 at. Of course, that was before Brett Yarmark was the commissioner of the Big 12. And then now we see last year, Utah and UCLA are leaving to go to Big 10. So your these two conferences, your biggest players are leaving. Simple as that. What do you do? How do you react? Um, that that's a big judge of character. Bad things are going to happen to you. Um, things you don't expect happen are going to happen. But how do you react? And the Big Twelve has handled this and done so much better than the Pac Twelve. Like I said, you lose those. Who, where are you going at for the Pac Twelve? I mean, as soon as USC. And UCLA announced they were leaving and going to the Big Ten. It was like, okay, who's going to poach who from what? You know, and in the Big Twelve, it was rumors what they were going to do. And you look at who they've had. They've had a Central Florida, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. Do those four equal Oklahoma and Texas from a brand name? Probably not. But those teams have been successful from where they're at. BYU's got history. Cincinnati's been good over the last couple of years. Man, those are different coaching staff now, but they've been to the playoff, the first group of five team to do so. Houston with Dana Holgerson, he knows what it's like in the Big 12. He's coached in group of five, uh, power five, excuse me, power five football. And then Central Florida, uh, we've seen them have success. And Gus Malzahn is kind of known to look out and have a really big year every now and then. And then you bring Colorado, you bring Dion. Now you got to feel like they're going to go in another team. Um, are they going to be a 13-team conference? No. You've seen talk of UConn, which Brett Yarmark is a guy that seems to be a big basketball guy. So do, do they go that duration? I mean, that basketball can sell stuff, but we all know this is football-driven. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. I mean, if you're a big basketball fan out there watching this or listening and you're saying, you know, college basketball is awesome. It is. It is. I love it. March Madness is one of my favorite things. I take vacation off every year to watch that first week. I'm a big college basketball fan. I love basketball. But we just got to know business. And football is the driving force behind this. So does UConn do things for you. But then you look at the Pac-12, which they were vulnerable before all this. They're extremely vulnerable now. Arizona, Arizona State, do they come? Uh, Utah. Is that a team that the Big 12 can go get? What happens with Oregon and Washington? I mean, how, how often do we see people speculating that those two teams 
could be headed to the Big Ten when UCLA and USC did. And it, and there's going to be teams that get left out. Um, will there be teams in the Pac-12 that I'll have to go to Mountain West or will they just go grab Mountain West teams and then will the Pac-12 become a group of five conference? It's very intriguing. And it's just the Pac-12 is in trouble. I mean, they are in serious trouble right now to – they, they may survive. There may always be a Pac-12 conference, but they're not going to be what they are, especially in football. So we'll see. We'll see what happens and see how strong the Big 12 gets now. And it actually leads me into the last part I want to talk about here. So I saw this on Twitter on Friday, Friday morning, FSU 247 writer uh, Chris Nee uh, put it out there that FSU may be wanting to get out of the ACC. What does that mean? Um, I'm, obviously, you automatically look at Florida State. Oh, yeah, that's an SEC-style school. So you might think, okay, Florida State goes to the SEC. Well, the SEC is a 16. I don't, I don't see the SEC adding another team unless the Big Ten does. I feel like Greg Sankey, the SEC people, I feel like just from what has been said, I feel like they're happy with the 16 they have. They would add more if they felt like that's the direction they needed to go. I mean, Florida State and Clemson makes sense. But then Florida State to the Big Ten, I don't know. It's just – and I know well, USC and UCLA, I mean, at least there's a history there with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. I don't know. Florida State being in the Big Ten doesn't make sense. Big 12, but Florida State, would you want to go there? SEC makes the most sense with Florida State. But I think that has to come along with Clemson too. But we'll see. I mean, that's just words. We'll, you know, and we've heard speculation about Florida State before, so we shall see how that goes. But that's just kind of my thoughts to open up the show uh, with kind of what's been the, uh, I think, the big storyline of uh, this past week is is that going on there. Anyways, guys, uh, next up, I'm gonna play the interview. So here's the order. You will hear them. You will hear. Jeff Cohane, voice of the Florida State Seminoles. Then you'll hear Tony Saracusa, managing editor of Last World of College Football. And then after that, you'll hear Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. And then we'll close it up uh, with AFC East preview with Matt Barbado. And then I will close up the show after that. All right, my first guest up this week is the voice of the Florida State Seminoles, director of broadcasting at the Seminole Sports Network, that is Jeff Cohane. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on the show. You know, we talked about I'm from Dothan, so not too far from Tallahassee. Always a lot of people excited in this area uh, about the Seminoles, but uh, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Philip, it's uh, great to be on the Blitz with you, and um, I'm happy that you reached out. Uh, love talking football, and you know we were talking off air a moment ago about high school football and and uh, some of the things that you've got going on. And so, Friday Night Lights, man, that's that's a big part of where I got started in my broadcasting career. And you know, looking forward to another season here in Tallahassee with Mike Norvell and this Florida State football program. I can't wait. Yes, it's exciting times. Of course, this week, uh, ACC uh, kickoff. Uh, I always, always mess up and call it ACC Media Days because every other conference calls it right. that. But I, I do try to be correct, Jeff, when I when I talk about that. So, so yeah. it is an exciting week uh, uh, for the conferences overall, too, uh, with all that going on. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, obviously, from a Florida State perspective, um, the the Knowles were a big talking point on Wednesday. And it's always uh, always great to listen to Mike Norvell. Uh, he is a, an inspirational figure. Um, you know, you, you talk with people here in Tallahassee and around the Seminole family, and they, they see a lot of similarities between Bobby Bowden and, and Coach Norvell. And Getting to know him over the last year or so has been an absolute joy. And what you see is what you get. He is full of energy, enthusiasm, inspiration, uh, but he's as competitive as anyone out there, and even more so, and has a huge love uh, for his players and everyone around his football program. And and then, you know, Jordan Travis, Jared Verse, Kalen Deloach all represented Florida State University in just a first-class fashion, and being able to get to know those young men as well as so many others around this program has been a ton of fun and, and really a joy. And you can see why this team turned it around a year ago, Philip, and won 10 games and why they're being talked about, you know, as a, as a squad that, that can win an ACC championship and maybe get themselves into a college football playoff, what they have returning. So fun to watch uh, those four represent FSU in first class fashion and, Obviously, I thought the ACC network crew did an amazing job again. That's those are long days, a lot going on. I thought it was great coverage and fun to you know fun to see the other teams and other coaches and players, student athletes, uh, talk about their their goals and and hopes for the upcoming year. And I think the ACC is going to be a very very intriguing conference here in this fall of twenty twenty three. Yeah, I do too as well. It's got a lot of interesting teams uh, in the conference uh, overall. Um, you know, before we kind of get into, we're going to talk a little bit about Florida State last year. You know, you talk about the turnaround and going into this team. Just uh, whenever I have a, a another broadcaster uh, on the show, when I ever get these opportunities, I always like to uh, pick your brain a little bit on the the journey to that. Uh, what got them into it? What made them want to jump into that arena? Uh, just my curiosity always peaks with that. Uh, how how did it all start for you? Well, I'll try and keep it as as uh, compact as possible here because I'm getting old and we've had a few stops uh, along the way. But, you know, I, I grew up in Mitchell, South Dakota and was in love with sports from the day I can remember. Loved playing them. And in my house, uh, I should say my father's house, the radio was always on. The house I grew up in, he always had the radio on in the morning, um, at night. Uh, listening to games, you know, we did not have a pro team, obviously, in South Dakota. We didn't have at the time a Division One squad, uh, and there still isn't an FBS school in, in South Dakota or North Dakota. But, um, you know, you just you, uh, when, you, when you listen to the high school or college games, they weren't on TV either, so you listen to the radio. And there just grew a love from me as a, as a kid of listening to different announcers and I always was fascinated by the venues they said that they were at and trying to, in my mind, you know, put myself there. And what did these places look like? And, you know, what did they mean to different people? And so growing up, I was a part of it. My dad was in radio, you know, part time. Uh, he was also a public address announcer at our high school and college uh, in Mitchell, South Dakota. And so it was kind of around a microphone. I was around a booth a little bit. But I love to play. I love sports. Uh, I played four years of college football, one season of college baseball, and uh, started working in radio when I was 14 years old and, and really got into play-by-play in college. Uh, and so 
Um, you know, as you talked about, or we talked about a little while before we started recording, you know, high school football, a, a game, a memory came back to me where my first, in my first full-time job, uh, a guy and a friend of mine by the name of Lane Grendel, who I worked with uh, in South Dakota and also in Nebraska. He is now one of the play-by-play radio announcers for the Milwaukee Brewers and works with Bob Euchre, does games with Euchre. He and I sat in the on the metal bleachers in the grandstand in Tyndall, South Dakota, uh, Bonham High School. I forget who they were playing, but it was a tape delay, Philip, radio broadcast where we brought a you know boom box with cassette tapes, and we sat in the stands around the parents, and we recall we called the game, recorded it, and then we put it in and produced it for air the next morning. And that's what we did with, with my first high school play by play uh, almost 20 years ago now. And so moved around since then, uh, worked with some great people uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, Morgantown, West Virginia, you know, and got my first uh, big play by play opportunity at North Dakota state in Fargo, North Dakota before replacing uh, the great Gene Deckerhoff here last season. So it's been a journey, but uh, I've, uh, you know, gained a lot of friends and learned a lot every step of the way and wouldn't uh, change a thing in any way. I know I, when I was, when I was looking at, you know, the stops you have, you know, before getting to Tallahassee, uh, you and Bobby Bowden have a lot in common, uh, stop a little yeah. stop at West Virginia before you get to Tallahassee. Yeah, we both, uh, certainly had time in Morgantown with coach Bowden, uh, as a, as a head coach there. Uh, I actually, uh, saw coach, I believe it was back in 2014 or 2015 when he was inducted into the WVU Sports Hall of Fame and saw him in the press box. And, you know, there's there's not many people when they walk into a room, you, you feel their presence without them saying a word, and Bobby Bowden is one of them. And uh, I wish I would have got a chance to know Coach Bowden a lot better. He uh, impacted so many, touched so many lives, and such a great person. Got to meet his wife, uh, Ann, last fall at the uh, creation of the Bowden Society, a part of Seminole Boosters, which is uh, a great, great fund in support of Florida State Athletics, um, and, and met uh, you know his, his daughter Robin as well. And so I've been able to get to know the Bowden family a little bit over the last year. Uh, and so, yeah, we do have a little bit of crossover. Um, and it was always, you know, when I was in Morgantown, the connections between Florida State and West Virginia. You know, Jimbo Fisher grew up mm-hmm. in Clarksburg, West Virginia. One of his best friends uh, is Mike Carey, who was the the women's basketball coach at West Virginia I worked for when I was calling women's basketball games. And, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of bizarre when you think about it and you look back upon the connections through your journey to, to get where, you know, my family and I are, are at right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like I said, I said, huh, I might have to bring that up when I talk to Jeff about the, the West Virginia part of it. Uh, you know, going into Tallahassee last year, I mean, hey, you're a good luck charm, Jeff. You come in and then they go, to, they win 10 games. Uh, Florida State gets back to what people are used to them being a uh, uh, competitive uh, top team in the ACC. And going into this year, obviously, I know a lot of people got hopefully uh, national championship aspirations. But that first year, uh, what stood out to you the most uh, your first year? I mean, uh, uh, was it the LSU game? Later, the Florida game, the bowl game. I mean, w- w- what was uh, what was your big memories for uh, last year with the Seminoles? Well, Philip, I'm going to take all the credit for a 10 win season uh, last <laughs> year. That was all me. 
Uh, you know, I, I did everything. Uh, no, I'm certainly joking, of course. You know, what stood out to me was, well, the, was the culture that was instilled from, from Mike Norvell. And it was very apparent to me during fall camp that this was a team that needed to have some early season success because you could feel the team coming together even early in the year, and you could feel the belief that was there uh, that Coach Norvell and this great staff that he has working with them has instilled and put in place. And you saw Jordan Travis in fall camp look confident and look like he had made some big strides throwing the football. You know, as far as games are concerned, you know, obviously the LSU game is one I will never forget, uh, just the way that what that game meant to the to everyone, to, to Coach Norvell, to the team, to the fan base. Um, you know, that was a game Florida State needed it from a mental health standpoint to, to have that win. Uh, people forget the Louisville game, Philip. The Louisville game was a massive game for the, you know, the blueprint of last season. A Friday night on the road, national television, ACC lid lifter in a place that's tough to play. Louisville's a good team. They got good talent. And, you know, um, you know, a guy, Malik Cunningham, who is as, you know, as, as good as anyone last mm-hmm. year with what he can do in college football. That was a huge win. Injuries. Tate Rodemaker coming in. Jared Verse goes down. Robert Cooper goes down. I think big Rob Scott went down during the game. Um, to win that game, I, you know, coming out of LSU off of a bye, that was another huge stepping stone for this team. Uh, you know, and then – at the end of the year to win six in a row, to beat Miami 45 to three on the road, the Florida game just speaks for itself. Uh, every single year, there's so much passion around that game. And the scene on Bobby Bowden field after the clock hit zero was an amazing memory. And then, you know, the 25th 10 win season is captured with that victory over another great program in Oklahoma, uh, winning 35, 32, a lot of great memories uh, last fall on year number one. And, you know, a season uh, many of us will will not soon forget. Yeah, I know. Watching that game last year between Florida and Florida State, it brought back memories. I like, this is what this rivalry is between these two. I mean, because I remember, uh, I'm 36. So I remember when the, when these two teams played. One, you know, a national title could be at stake uh, when these yeah. two get together. It just it just had that feel. I mean, uh, and I know Florida wasn't having a great year last year. They were six and sixteen overall last season but it just it just had that feel like this is this is back florida and florida state's back to where it used to be yeah it was great to have it on a friday night you know it's the mm-hmm. only show in town friday after thanksgiving national television on abc but but also you know you saw from the florida state faithful the seminal fans what it means to them and mm-hmm. you know a, a, a holiday weekend where a lot of people could have said ah eh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna watch this one on tv no, sir. Sold out crowd, 79,560. Um, and, 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 you know, Florida was was without some guys, and, and Florida State had some guys nicked up as well, and both teams just really played their tails off. And you could tell it meant a lot as it all these, you know, all these games should. But this one had a different feel around it compared to any other I've been a part of in my career. And so it truly is you know, one of those games where it doesn't matter what the record is. It doesn't matter who's playing or who's in or who's out. You better be ready to go. And uh, I think you saw both teams fight back and forth, and you saw the the type of game that we did. 
You know, going into this season, and you know, Florida State's one of the favorites in the ACC. I, I feel like it's them and Clemson as, as the the two top teams, the two favorites uh, in the ACC. Uh, but when you look at this team, Jordan Travis coming back for another year. Uh, I mean, I know everybody wants to talk Caleb Williams and Drake May, but hey, don't forget about Jordan Travis. Right. He's a a really accomplished quarterback, fourth year. I mean. I mean, very experienced quarterback, too. I mean, there's nothing he hasn't really seen. They have uh, Trey Benson coming back at running back. Johnny Wilson is at receiver. I really like their addition to Keon Coleman. I think that's going to be yeah. big uh, for them. I mean, he's a really talented – it was between them and Ole Miss, it felt like, uh, to get him. But yeah. offensively, when you look at this Florida State team, and we saw what they did last year, the numbers, what excites you about going into this year, what they can improve on? Philip, you laid it out right there, man. I mean, those are some big names. And I would add the tight end room with Jaheim Bell. Yep. I think Jaheim Bell is – I've been talking a lot about him in the offseason. The way Mike Norvell gets creative with his tight ends and the versatile player that Jaheim Bell is. I mean, he he lined up in the backfield at South Carolina. They handed him the football. Uh, he obviously made plays. He had a huge game against Tennessee, and they're a huge upset win of Tennessee last year late in the season. He played great. Um so many weapons. What are you going to take away if you're an opposing defense? If you if you bring somebody you know down to try and corral Trey Benson or even Jordan Travis in the quarterback run game, you're going to leave single coverage on Johnny Wilson or Keon Coleman or Kentron Portier, uh, Jakai Douglas in the slot. You've got Winston Wright, who I mean, people at West Virginia were devastated when he left West Virginia. And, you know, sadly got into the car accident last spring that took his season away last year. But it sounds like he's progressing well and has, you know, the the health back and is a huge talent um, with what he has done so far in his collegiate career. You know, I, I don't know if what kind of role Hakeem Williams is going to have at a Stranahan High in Fort Lauderdale. He's lost 10 pounds from spring ball. He needed to lose a little weight, get in better shape. He's got a pro look to him as a true freshman, you know, and so uh, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. I, and I think Lawrence Toafili, with the way the, the game is set up in the NFL, with his skill set and versatility, can be a guy that makes it to the next level, uh, catching the ball out of the backfield, the lineup all over the place and making people miss. So, you know, what do you take away if you're an opposing D? And I, I haven't even mentioned Kyle Morlock or Marquiston Douglas or, or those guys, right? And so mm-hmm. – um, and, and we're just talking skill now as well. Mike Norvell has the offensive line that he's been working towards with returning talent and added pieces in the portal with Jeremiah Byers, Casey Roddick and Keandre Jones, where he has experience. Finally, you know, 2020, you're playing true freshman up front. Now, according to Phil Steele, it's the most experienced returning offensive line he's ever seen in doing the college football preview. So you have all that, and you're coming off of a year where you put up huge numbers and we're one of the best offenses in all of college football. So, you know, where do they get better? Man, I, I can't wait. I'm going to – you know, we got to get our popcorn ready to see uh, what what this group is going to look like because they have a lot of pieces to work with. Yeah, absolutely. The defense, I mean, maybe the best recruiting job, Jared Verse coming back. I mean, this is the guy that – probably could have been drafted in the first round coming back to school uh, uh every acc and lsu quarterback added in there as well is probably looking said okay i got to know where that guy is at because yeah. he's coming after me but the thing about their defense they have so many other guys uh 
you know, Patrick Payton, that's another guy that can get after. And then you mentioned earlier he was at Media Days. I mean, Jerry Verse was too as well. Kalen Deloach comes in. I mean, you've got so many talented players on the defense. I think Jerry Verse is the headliner. Everybody talks about him. But, hey, just don't focus on him. you got a whole bunch of other guys you got to worry about. Well, Philip, the thing I've learned around successful college football teams and, and what I've seen in different stops and what Georgia has done here recently is you have to have – eight or nine deep along the defensive line, nine or 10 deep. And mm-hmm. you can't have a fall off in talent when the next group rolls in. That's what Mike Norvell's done. Adam Fuller and this, this defensive group, defensive staff have done here with the defensive line. And he talked about some of the names. Gilbert Edmond, another South Carolina transfer, uh, is a tremendous talent. Braden Fisk out of Western Michigan, I feel like, is a guy we're going to fall in love with this year with his motor, and, and wanting to make a name for himself coming from a group of five program uh, out of Western Michigan in the MAC. Um, you know, Daryl Jackson, it sounds like, is going to get the waiver, and that means he got 6'4", 335 uh, available, uh, along with Joshua Farmer, his high school teammate at Gaston County. So uh, it, it's it's a group up front where, you know, a year ago, and I'm not even, I don't even name Fabian Lovett, who I think when he was in the game was as – dominant as any player in the ACC a year ago. So it's a group up front that is um, mimicking what Georgia is doing along the defensive line. And so you got to stay healthy. Uh, If you do suffer a few injuries, which you will during the year, now you have more bodies and more skill to, uh, to, to handle some of those injuries. And so I think that is a, a big focus defensively. Yeah, absolutely. I just, and it, I, I and I still remember last year going to last year. Everybody talking about Jared first. I know I keep talking about him, like how good he was at Albany coming in. Mm-hmm. And it, you see this. I'm like, how is this guy not on uh, a, a school of Florida State's manager? How did he? How did he go through high school without you know coming to a bigger school like a Florida State or you know one of those kind of schools? But hey, everybody's misfortune is Florida State's fortune in that in that scenario. Yeah, no question. Amazing story and. A guy that was going to high school in central Pennsylvania that didn't get any offers except a, an offer to play tight end at U Albany. And then COVID hit and he lived in the weight room for 365 days and he gained 40 pounds of muscle. They moved it to D end. And that year, the FCS played a spring season. He jumped off the page at everybody and was the CAA defensive freshman of the year. Um, I actually saw him, uh, Phillip, inside the Fargo Dome to open up the fall of 2021 when he was at U Albany. I watched Jared verse play, called the game uh, between North Dakota State and Albany. And so saw him play, uh, did some research on him, and knew he was a pretty special player. And I'm glad he and I are both in Tallahassee together right now. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people are happy. uh, Both of you are in Tallahassee. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, the schedule. You know, I've been – all off season, I've been studying and just looking at the Florida State schedule, and I just look at it just from if they want, you know, if you want to reach that goal, the the playoff, the ACC championship month of September, it looks like it's just going to be huge. That LSU game to kick things off, and then later in the month you play at Clemson and Luke. If things go how people think, probably going to be seeing Clemson more than once this season. Oh, uh, just what's your thought? You know, just going into the schedule, that LSU game in Orlando this time, so it's yeah. in more uh, Seminole territory now. But just uh, overall, when you you think about the schedule, well, you know, I think you said it. September is going to tell us a lot. Uh, I think it's a huge opportunity to play LSU. You know, on on a neutral site, I think it will be pretty close to fifty fifty. Their fans will travel. 
are it's our home state, and so certainly we're going to have a ton of garden and gold there as well. But but this is going to have a college football playoff kind of atmosphere uh, at Capital World Stadium, and so huge opportunity to make a statement nationally against an LSU team that will be ready. They'll they'll remember what happened a year ago. They'll be fired up and ready to play. And certainly they're more understanding of Brian Kelly and what he expects, and they're more understanding of their personnel. Uh, But Florida State is a better football team as well than what they were in game two last season. And they'll have the confidence to know they beat this uh, LSU team. And I would argue Florida State's personnel is better than what it was a year ago at this time uh, Mm -hmm. with what they've done in recruiting in the transfer portal. So a great chance there. I'll tell you what, Boston College – is improved. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to, you know, win nine or 10 games or eight games. I'll say they're not, but I, I think Boston college is not going to be any pushover on September 16th. They'll be better. Uh, Christian Mahogany is back along the offensive line. Emmett Moorhead can throw it. Um, they will miss Zay flowers. That's a huge loss. He was one of the best players I saw all year a season ago in the first round draft pick of the Ravens. So, um, they'll be better, uh, but that's a game, obviously, Florida State will be favored in by more than likely double digits. And then the Clemson game, Philip. I mean, I went back and watched. It reminds me, I think, a lot of the 2013 game where, you know, you had three versus five and you're in Death Valley and Florida State is looking to make a return to national prominence after some time off, get an Orange Bowl victory, you know, win the year before against Northern Illinois. But, you know, you're trying to – you know, kind of climb the ladder there. And so it kind of, I think it reminds fans of that game a little bit. I would imagine that Clemson will be unbeaten. Uh, The hope is, and I I believe Florida State will be as well. And so you got two huge games against two huge sets of Tigers that you're going to face in uh, the month of September. Games late in the year. I think, I think the end of the season is, is challenging. I think the Duke game is one you can't sleep on. I know it, it sounds crazy, Duke has never beaten Florida State, but Riley Leonard and the returning production, and I think Mike Elko is a good coach. Uh, that's that's a game to watch out for at the end of a three-game homestand at Doe Campbell Stadium. And then road games at Wake, at Pitt. I think Pitt's going to be very, very physical and good once again. And then two of the last three with Miami at home and at Florida in Gainesville. So, And then the ACC championship, you're hoping it could be a rematch at Clemson once again. So, uh, it's it's a schedule that looks like you have some holes in it at times. I think it's going to be one that challenges this team and will get them ready uh, and and show uh, everybody around the country that if you win all your games, uh, obviously you're going to set yourself up into a good spot. And I think you have a chance as well if you lose one uh, to put yourself in position to still make the college football playoff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I wonder if the Florida State fans are getting tired of seeing Brian Kelly because it's been the third year in a row they've had to see him because yeah. his last year at Notre Dame they opened against uh, Florida State. So yeah, they're, they're third, very fam- third, Yeah, third week one meeting in a row between Brian Kelly and Mike Norvell. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think some people forget about the Notre Dame. Part of it, just think about that one. Oh, uh, but anyways, Jeff, this has been great having you on. I've kept you a few minutes over. I know what I, I said I would have you on, but uh, listeners and viewers, uh, want to follow you already? Find, and the podcast, uh, Behind the Mic, uh, you got going too as well. Yeah, Philip, thanks. Yeah, we're, we're starting that back up uh, next week, uh, so we'll have that out. It's on all your uh, podcast platforms. Just search Behind the Mic. It's the official podcast of FSU Athletics. We're going to have Mike Norvell on the pod next Friday. 
And it's always great conversating with him and uh, working on some other guests as well. Brooke Wyckoff, I think, will join us. The Florida State women's program is heading over to Greece for a, a, a you know a European uh, tour coming up next week. Uh, Phil Steele will stop by the show. Uh, we will talk with Jared Verse and Kalen Deloach, a conversation I had right before media days, uh, the ACC kickoff, right, uh, with them, uh, and so much more. Baba Miller will be on the program after – uh, his uh, uh, trek over to Hungary with the Spanish team that won the FIBA U19 uh, World Title World Cup. So a lot in the uh, the hopper, and obviously fall camp right around the corner for Florida State. Absolutely, it is it is the best time of year upon us. Uh, four weeks, I count week zero. We're four uh, about four weeks until college football season kicks off. And uh, Jeff, I do appreciate you coming on the show and uh, taking the time. And I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Philip, thanks for having me, and uh, look forward to chatting with you down the road. And go Knowles! Everybody, next up here on the Weekend Blitz, I am joined by our great managing editor over at Last Word on College Football. i got to get them brownie points in somehow, Tony. Uh, uh, Tony Saracusa is with me here today. Uh, talking more ACC here in the first hour. Tony, it's, it's always great uh, to see you and talk to you. Oh, I look, I'm I'm happy you got a show back. I'm I'm happy you're doing it on Saturday mornings. I, I, Saturday mornings are built for college football, so I think the timing is great, and and I'm excited about you doing a new show. I uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you. It's, it's exciting, nervous, all at the uh, exact same time as it is it, always. To be. Yep. You always want that first one to go really, really smoothly. So that's the uh, that's the important part. You know, first impressions and all. There you go. There you go. You know, when I asked you to come on, it was mm-hmm. what last week. I messaged yeah, you and I, and I said, "Let's talk Ace." I know you'd be there at ACC. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd lead with the Pac-12 though in our <laughs> conversation. Uh, your old stopping grounds, uh, it is. but it is. Uh, I, I I I saw. I get Bleach Report to news to my uh to my my email, okay. and I believe their headline this morning. I read my email. It says, "Is the Pac-12 screwed?" And uh, I think that's, you know, that kind of seems like they are doomed. I'll use that word. They're yeah. doomed. Uh, what's, what's up with the Pac-12? <laughs> well, like, I, like you said, uh, just as a reference point, it is my old stomping ground. I spent five years covering UCLA uh, and the Pac-12. And I think, you know, if I had given Chip Kelly a heads up that I was moving to Charlotte, he probably would have helped me pack. I'm sure he was eager for me to leave and get out of his hair. Um, look, the Pac-12 has two main issues right now. First one is the ghost of Larry Scott, the previous commissioner, who left things in just a horrible state when he was when he retired, resigned, was pushed out the door. You know, take your pick. Um, when his contract was up, there was no chance of an offer to, to stay any longer. Larry Scott was horrible with media negotiations. So they were stuck with the Pac-12 network, which is not carried on DirecTV or any AT&T outlet. So you miss two-thirds of the West Coast uh, potential viewers. So that that hamstrung the conference in terms of the money that they were giving back to the schools. Um, And the Pac-12 network is likely 99% going away next year. It will be eliminated. Uh, The new commissioner, George Klyovkov, not a fan 
of, of the product because it's too hard to monetize. And uh, so they will work on the production front of whatever streaming service the Pac-12 brings in as part of the new TV deal. Then you bring in George Klyovkov, who came from MGM Resorts and had negotiated media contracts and sponsorship contracts and all of these things. The first thing, and he's been there a little over two years now, the first priority had to be getting that new TV deal done because their TV deal expires in June of 2024. So at the end of the upcoming academic year. Um, and you look, you got to believe he's been working on it, but there is nothing there. We're now in July. We're almost at the end of July, as I have to check my date. <laughs> We're almost at the end of July, and there's still nothing. The president's and chancellors of the universities, basically what he refers to as his CEO group, have been telling them since March, you got to get it done by end of April. And they've been trying to kind of toe the company line, say, yeah, we, we're, we're confident. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. April went by. May went by. Again, we're now end of July, and he's got nothing. In the interim, a year ago, June, he, of course, was dealt the huge blow, which he did not see coming, which was the departure of USC and UCLA. That negatively impacted any of the media negotiations because you just lost the number two media market in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And I know fans in other parts of the country will kind of take some shots, uh, UCLA football, whatever, USC. Uh, but it's the media market. It is the number two media market in the entire country your entire conference was just devalued from a media rights negotiation standpoint. So he had to, and he did not see it coming. Frankly, nobody did. I mean, it was a shocker. I will tell you, I was out running some errands that day. I figured it's June. I got a little time to myself, right? I mean, we're not in conference media days yet. And my phone starts pinging and people telling me this is coming. You're not going to believe what I just heard and people, sources that I have from within the conference. And, you know, I stopped what I was doing, jumped in my car, ran home, you know, and, and there it was. But like I said, a huge blow to the media negotiations. Since then, there's been no recovery. There is nothing else that has come. There have been inklings that ESPN has said, thank you, but no thanks in terms of being the tier one media partner. Fox has done the same. You have a tier two media partner for the year in the Pac-12 network. Um, you need a tier three in reality, which logic says it'll be a streaming network, much like what the NFL did. Maybe it's Amazon. Maybe it's Apple. But because those entities have never done college football, they need more time to kind of kick the tires and see how this all works and that it's different from the NFL product. And so it takes a lot more time. You fast forward. Actually, let me digress for 30 seconds. There have been all these reports from West Coast reporters that have been like, Pac-12 is fine. Yeah, it's down to 10 schools, but they're going to stay together. They're all going to sign a grant of rights deal that Klyovkov wants. It says they won't leave for four or five years or whatever the new TV deal will be. Um, and so there were leaks, but they were leaks in the wrong direction. These few media guys were talking to the wrong sources and they were being misled for the purposes of a little bit of conference propaganda almost. 
So you fast forward to Pac-12 Media Day last Friday, and Klyovkov just bombed. Absolutely bombed. There was no new TV deal yet to announce. All the media is there, and that's all they want to talk about. Yeah, it's fine. We'll talk to the coaches and the players, but <laughs> let's talk about why you don't have a media deal. It was okay that he didn't have one yet, but he needed to have something to announce, even if it was, look, we're close. We're not ready yet, but we're close. The lawyers are looking at it. We're dotting I's, crossing T's, whatever. He had nothing. His answer to the question was because a reporter from the Oregonian asked him about, you know, where are we with this? And his answer was, we're not discussing the new TV deal today because we want the focus to be on football. You roll along for 10 minutes and someone finally thinks to follow up. Wait a second. Does that mean you have a TV deal and you're just not announcing it? And the answer was, no, you're reading too much into this. The reason they didn't announce it is because there was nothing to announce. And by playing this kind of cat and mouse game, it was horrible. Now, let me tell you what we found out within minutes of that happening is Colorado Athletic Director Rick George got up and left Pac-12 Media Day. He went to the airport, hopped on the private jet, and went back to Boulder early. He was supposed to stay through the rest of the day, maybe even into set. He left. He was pissed off, and he left. And now you fast forward, and Colorado is out the door. They are headed back to the Big 12. Um, the announcement has been made. A vote for from the uh, Board of Regents was taken, and the proposal was agreed to unanimously. Um, there were geeks like me who were actually streaming the Board of Regents meeting. You know, thank goodness for Colorado tax dollars being well spent that they put the they put the meeting up on streaming. And um, they all talked about, oh, it was a shame. They really wanted to stay with the Pac-12, but they got to look out for their future. And you can't have a future when you don't know what's next. You have to have some sense of what's next. Colorado's not going to be the last one to leave. I mean, he's got a few weeks maybe to get something put together or there will be at least one more. We've, we, we've gone back and forth with our sources uh, this week. And even while I was at ACC media days in Charlotte and there will be at least one more, he's got about two weeks to fix this or someone else is out the door. You know, when I look at this, Tony, and I look at the big 12 mm -hmm. and I look at two conferences that were basically in a way in the same position. Yeah. I mean, they lose Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, look, the teams they have in the big 12, they're great. I think it's going to be a fun conference when I Texas and Oklahoma are gone. But look, it's Texas and Oklahoma. Right. That's your two bell cows. That's your two money makers. And then, you know, and then now you look at, like you said, with the Pac-12, losing mm -hmm. UCLA and USC, losing mm -hmm. that. And now we've seen two commissioners kind of like go in two different directions with this. Right. Brett Yarmark has pretty much taken this. And, I mean, he's he's almost putting the nail in the coffin of the yeah. Pac-12, potentially, potentially, potentially. And then you look at George Klopkoff, He's fumbled it. It's, it's like two conferences, same position, going opposite directions. Well, and here's the irony is when the Big 12 lost their two premier universities, then the Big 12 and Brent Bowles, uh, Bowlesby, who was the commissioner then, and 
Klyovkov were talking about, hey, may, maybe we need to kind of have a merge of interest. Maybe we need to talk about scheduling a lot of each other, kind of saving each other. And the Pac-12 said no, because the Big 12 schools did not fit the academic footprint of the Pac-12. The Pac-12, for those who don't know, requires that you be a Carnegie Education Tier 1 research university to qualify to get into the conference. Um, I think there are two schools who are grandfathered out of that if they ever slip, uh, Washington State and Oregon, because they were both founding members of the conference. So they get grandfathered in. They both qualify anyway. But this is the reason why they took Utah instead of BYU years ago. It was because BYU was not a tier one Carnegie education school. Um, most of the Big 12 schools at the time were not. So Pac-12 kind of thumbed their nose at them. Your mark is getting the last laugh right now. You know, he issued a statement uh, which they put out on social media on the Big 12 letterhead, and it just said, Commissioner Brett Yormark uh, comments on the University of Colorado, and all it said was, quote, they're back. <laughs> and that was it, and they issued that. He's having a pretty good laugh right now. And, and you're right. Two conferences that really had similar issues, but, you know, look, your mark was quick to at least get a contract extension on the media rights deal while they were negotiating a new one. Klyovkov didn't do that. He's and, and he's behind the eight ball by a lot right now. So it's just it's going to be interesting. It's going to be worth keeping an eye on uh, as we get yeah. on. So, and then the ACC, let's jump at ACC. They stole the CW from the Pac-12. So there, there you go. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, but but here's the thing with that, and and there is a significant difference that I think needs to be pointed out, is the ACC the, because there was talk about the Pac-12 getting on CW, and certainly I was quick to laugh about it, you know, saying, "Great, they'll you know show Washington State versus Arizona after a special rerun of Gilmore Girls, you know, or whatever else the CW." I, I don't want your audience thinking I'm that familiar with programming on the CW. But uh, I had to look it up. And, you know, the difference is with the ACC is the ACC has its tier one partner, ESPN. Mm -hmm. They have their tier two partner, the ACC Network, which is owned by ESPN. They needed a tier three because Raycom owns the tier three rights. And Raycom was putting them on the bat with the regional sports network, in this case, which was the Bally Sports Network, which is actually currently in bankruptcy. And is going to go away before the end of the year. They needed to secure something else. And the CW, you know, I guess during the summer showed a couple of live golf tournaments. And so, you know, now they have some sports background, I suppose. But they're going to show, I think it's nine or ten games uh, throughout the course of the year. They're not going to be the high level game. They're going to be the games you put on your tier three last level partner. But the ACC was already wrapped up with everything. And this was really just Raycom saying, we need a new distribution point. Pac-12's got nothing, you know, for starting next year. So they're starting from scratch. So I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, outside of the football and the sports stuff. I pay attention to a lot of like movie and TV stuff. Mm -hmm. So the sure. CW is a network that used to have a bunch of superhero shows and everything else. But <laughs> okay. those... 
they cost a lot of money. Those, yes. those TV shows cost a lot of yep. money. So the, they've got some new ownership over at the CW. Someone new's running the company and they want to bring back costs. Well, if Raycom is just, as, if they're doing everything, they just have to put it on yeah. the air. That's, that's it. a money saving possibility. Absolutely. For the CW. Absolutely. Live Golf probably did the same thing. It was probably yeah. them doing the production. They're just right. putting it on their air. Yeah. You're getting a cut of the ad, of the ad revenue that comes in. Um, you're getting paid as the distributor. Um, and Raycom is doing all the production and, you know, carrying all the heavy load for it. So uh, it's very beneficial for the CW. I have no idea about their superhero background. You know, it's good to know. Um, so it, it really is turnkey. And, you know, I have discovered in my office here that it is easier to find the CW than it ever was the Bally Sports Networks. Um, those things were a nightmare to, to find and, you know, just to look for a tier three game. So th th this will work out for everybody for the ACC. For the Pac-12, they don't have a Tier 1 or Tier 2 starting in 2024. Oh, mm. uh, so ACC kickoff. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get out right, Tony, because I know the ACC is a little bit different. They don't call it media days. They like to call it the ACC kickoff. Uh, we oh, all know never. what it is. But, uh, you know, with the whole week, what, what you know, we always look at these media days, the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, all of them. What's the story on? You know, we feel like there's there is always a general talking point, the coaches, commissioner. Mm -hmm. What for you being there all week? What, what's kind of been like that, that storyline? The main thing that coaches and the commissioner and everybody's been talking about. Well, when you get to the commissioner and you get to Jim Phillips, there his name is in the news a lot right now. There were a lot mm -hmm. of things he couldn't talk about. He is a defendant, a named defendant in the Northwestern lawsuit because he was the athletic director there from 2018 to 2021. So some of these allegations that go beyond football and into the baseball team and the volleyball team and whatever occurred under, allegedly occurred uh, under his watch as athletic director. So first thing out of his mouth on Tuesday was, I can't talk about it. You know, I, I, I reject all the allegations and beyond that, I can't talk about it. I would say that Phillips for his part, his tone really followed a lot of what Greg Sankey did with the sec. Um, even what Klyovkov did with the PAC 12, your mark with the big 12 is Talk about NIL, the portal a little bit less, but collectives and the NIL, you know, because you and I have talked about this, I do not put collectives and NIL in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. NIL in its purest form is a sponsor paying your quarterback to go sign autographs or be a part of his you know, automotive commercial or whatever in that direct relationship. The collective is money bundling. It's it's legalized money laundering. Frankly, they just take, you know, the donations from wherever they get them. They're not earmarked for anything in particular. And you're paying players to suit up and play. It's it's different than what the intentions of NIL were. Anyway, this was a big part of the conversation for Phillips. Um, there is a lot of activity within Washington, D.C., coming up with different bills and different leg legislation. And I think when you talk to a lot of reporters five, six, seven months ago, they were talking about there's no way Congress has got no, no appetite for this. Turns out Congress does. There are three bills in draft form right now and another two 
uh, ready to go to subcommittees. The focus of them is that right now there are 38 states that have their own legislation. All of them are different from each other, but they all have the same theme. Our schools can give the middle finger to the NCAA. Don't worry about following the NCAA rules. You follow the state legislation and you're fine. Um, they've basically neutered the NCAA, which had done a good enough job of neutering itself, frankly, for mm -hmm. the years coming up to this by not tackling this issue years ago um, and putting in some guardrails a long time ago when they had the chance. But these states are now basically saying, we're running ourselves, we're running our schools, and this state is running its schools, and so on. Um, there is a desire with all the commissioners to have one national plan. Um, and the only way to do it is to protect the NCA from lawsuits, because if the NCA tries to run over the states, they're going to be sued. And um, they don't have tax exempt status in any way. Um, so they will be sued. So this is the only other way to come up with a national plan to a either empower the NCAA via Congress to do this or Congress does it itself. Um, you hear a lot of interesting takes from the coaches on it. The coaches want these fixes also. Um, it is ironic when you go through the ACC there is only one state in the school uh, or in the conference footprint that has no legislation. Boston College is not covered by anything because the state of Massachusetts has no NIL legislation. But North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, you know, so on and so forth, Pennsylvania, they all do. Um, there's a feeling that there is a lot of inequities and imbalance because the states are operating, you know, unto themselves. Uh, there is a thought process, which I brought up today with one of the coaches, which will, you know, last word on college football, I'll be covering in more detail next week, is there is one other thing that I, that I would think is in the NCAA's arsenal. And that is membership to the NCAA is voluntary. It's also a two-way street. The agreement says you will follow the NCA rules, and in exchange, you will be a member and you will get revenue sharing. You know, the NCA doesn't control Division One college football, but it does March Madness and you know the College World Series and the softball, or all those other revenue sports. Let let one of the universities violate the NCA rules because they're following the state, and then kick the school out of the NCA. That is a weapon that the NCA likely does have at its disposal. It's a huge weapon, and you got to be careful using it. But let's just say, I don't know, pick a school, Texas Tech, right? Violates it because you're not going to kick Texas out because that, that's too big. You're going to pick on a smaller school, suspend their NCA privileges. Doesn't impact football, but it cuts them out of participating in, in the NCA tournaments, the postseason tournaments. Uh, takes away their revenue from it. So now you're damaging the conference as well. And you're getting the conference commissioners to have to take an even stronger position. It is a distinct possibility that that could happen somewhere down the road if big picture legislation doesn't work. Right. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, reading the the tweets and stuff from from our workout, it, it seemed like nil. You know, nil was the uh, it worked. What, yeah, yeah. It was Look, it's because you have some coaches who talk about the nil is impacting the transfer portal because kids are getting promises allegedly from other schools or the collectives, and the collectives are obviously run by the boosters. Um, go in the portal, transfer out of where you are, go in the portal, and then come over here and you'll get this. There are coaches who claim to have proof that, and that proof that they say they've turned over to congressional representatives as they're working on these bills, um, that these kids are getting these promises and then the promises are not being fulfilled on the other end. That also gets you to tampering, which is against NCAA rules. But the NCA is hamstrung right now. They know if they try and enforce anything with regards to NIL, they're going to get sued. So they just sit back and do nothing. Um, Dave Clawson from Wake Forest today said he had six to eight players who were the subjects of tampering during the offseason. Wouldn't tell us who they were, of course. And, of course, he wouldn't name who did it. Uh, there were a couple of us who tried to pin him down, and his answer was it was nobody within the ACC. Um, it was a large budget university and a, this is his quote, a repeat offender. I think everyone's going to assume it was someone in the SEC <laughs> because they've got the bigger budgets. Um but Mac Brown has made the same allegations. You know, some of his players, you know, including Drake May, his, his quarterback, been the subjects of, of tampering. Look, if you're not going to turn these schools into the NCAA, then nothing's going to happen. It's just going to keep going. And you could see the frustration in our Q&A with Kloss. And he said, no, I agree. I'm not convinced anything will happen. I'm at the point where I say, you know what, let's just forget all the rules. Let's just make it even. And there are no rules with regards to recruiting, money, the portal, just drop all the rules and let's just all let it fly. Now, he doesn't really mean that. He doesn't really want that. But I think it's a frustration point that a lot of coaches have come to. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it across because I was going to now transition into Wake Forest uh, mm-hmm. for uh, the upcoming season. Uh, I, would would a trans not a transition year, but a team that kind of is in transition because Sam Hartman not being there. I mean, I feel like he was a 10-year senior there at Wake Forest. Uh, like as long as he's been there, just one of those guys that uh, feel like he's been there forever. Record right. going to Notre Dame. Uh, right. uh, Mitch Griffiths coming in, you know, a guy with experience. Mm-hmm. Started the first game against VMI last year, was 21-29, right. 288, right. three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for people who don't know, uh, what has Clawson said about him and what, what did you see in the, his one time of action last year? Well, I think there are a couple things. One, yeah, I agree. It seemed like Hartman was there forever. It felt like he was. And Hartman was a challenge from the media standpoint for us to, to deal with. He was rarely available to the media. Um, he had an agreement. He wouldn't talk to us during the week after practice or anything. So just post game. And then when uh, Wake Forest went on a three-game losing streak, last year he was amazingly unavailable for each of those post-game press conferences um then when he uh for the gasparilla bowl where they played missouri in one of the pre-christmas bowl games 
I asked him literally at the end of the press conference, we all had gotten the word that day that he was not going to the NFL. He was going to go to Notre Dame. It came out pregame. Um, and we were holding on to it until we talked to him. And I asked him, I said, what is your process for deciding what's next? Talk to your family, take some time off. He literally got up out of his seat and was running off the stage and said, my thought process is I'm going to whoever has the best drinks tonight. And he left. That was it. That was our Sam Hartman time. Mitch Griffiths is a different kind of dude. He really is. He's He's not going to overwhelm anybody with his physical skill. Um, they say he's six foot tall. He's not because he comes up to my eyes and I'm not six foot tall. So maybe in his spikes on his tippy toes, he's six foot tall. He's really five, ten and a half, maybe five eleven. This is his third year there. So he's been waiting. He is he has waited. When I talked to him during uh, the Wake Forest part of uh, ACC media days. He, I, I, we talked to him about what kind of vote of confidence did you feel you were getting from Clawson when he didn't go to the portal to look for another quarterback? There have been a lot of quarterback changes around the country and even within the ACC. Did mm -hmm. you feel good that Clawson wasn't out shopping for somebody else? Because Clawson said right after spring, Mitch is our quarterback. Um, and he said that. Clawson had told him in the spring, I'm not going to look for anybody else. This is your offense to run. So he did have the one game last year as a starter against VMI when Sam had uh, an, an emergency life-saving surgery. Um, and he played well. He played fine. You know, you had the stats there and he did well, but it was VMI. <laughs> let's, let's, let, yeah. let's not get too crazy about this. Um, if you haven't seen the Wake Forest offense – it's different. Mm -hmm. Now, it gets mischaracterized also. There is a part of the offense which is referred to as the slow mesh offense. And if you watch them on TV, the announcers will get overwhelmed talking about the slow mesh. If you come to last word on college football, you get the reality of it, which is they run the slow mesh about 25% of the time. The rest of it is a pretty typical RPO offense. Um but that slow mesh literally has the quarterback and the running back walking up to the line of scrimmage after the snap with the quarterback literally putting the ball in the running back's gut, forcing the linebackers to either come up and play the run, in which case he'll pull the ball and throw it to a receiver that's gotten behind the linebackers. Or if the linebackers drop off, he slaps the running back on the back, which is the key. It's your ball. Go. Right. What's going and it, and it worked with Sam because Sam was taller. He was bigger, stronger arm, and he had an over the top throwing motion. Griffiths comes at it with a three quarter angle throwing motion. Now think about it. You're already riding the faces of the defensive line. You're five ten with a three quarter motion. You're going to have to make a lot of adjustments to that slow mesh offense. Um, because otherwise you're going to have to count on your offensive lineman putting the defensive line down on the ground on every play, which just doesn't happen. So I think one of the biggest changes this new quarterback situation is going to create is you're going to see them roll out of the pocket a lot more than what they did with Hartman. 
Hartman was not fleet of foot. The coaching staff would convince us, oh, no, he had that 25-yard run against Louisville. Great. That was one. <laughs> what else you got? Um, Griffiths is a little quicker, a little more fleet of foot. I think you'll see him throw on the run and roll him out of the pocket a lot more than what we're used to seeing with Wake Forest the last three or four years. So it's I always enjoy watching them play that that mm-hmm. you know that style of offense and mm-hmm. you know uh, you know Tony uh, when we we did this I said 20, 15, 20 minutes we fit over uh, thirty minutes so <laughs> I it's you fine know, it's fine know, I can sit here and talk college football for the next three hours so yeah so ACC kickoff yes. so it it seems like okay everybody's talking about Florida State and Clemson. That's yes. the, the top two teams there. Yes. So this is kind of like a double, a uh, uh, two-part question. I know you're not supposed to do that, but it, it's a two-part question for Go you. Go right ahead. One, how do you see that playing out? Who do you see being the ACC champion in the year? Remember, I'm 90 minutes away from Tallahassee, so you know that it would feel good to me <laughs> if you say Florida to State. Influence me. Uh, and also, if there was a third team. Who right. is it? I mean, I think people think North Carolina just because of Drake May, but, you know, those two questions, how do you see both of those? Um, I do think – well, an important caveat here as I answer this, remember this is the first year where there's no divisions in the mm-hmm. ACC. So it is the top two teams that will play for the championship. There's no longer an Atlantic and a Coastal division. Now, that having, that having been said, the top two teams are Clemson and Florida State. It, they just are. I'm going to say this, that as we record this, I have not yet submitted my ballot as a voter okay. uh, for the ACC pecking order of how I think, you know, the teams will finish. I have until like midday Sunday to do that. And I'm going to take as much time as I darn well want. Um, but they are the two best teams. This is a quarterback heavy conference. And I think you look at, you know, Jordan Travis at Florida State. And he's one of the top two quarterbacks in the conference to me. Uh, you look at that defense, and it's a very good defense. You got Jared Verse, I, you know, can dominate a, a, an offensive line. And so you like that team a lot. With Clemson, Clemson has a lot of potential. They are the best team in the conference, and so usually you don't talk potential they need to show up with a better offense than what they've shown in the past couple of years. And uh, they went out and got Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator from TCU and Lincoln Riley's brother uh, as their new offensive coordinator. They'll have Kate Klubnick. Clemson fans have been waiting. They were clamoring last year to see Kate Klubnick. They were done with DJ Uyunglele, who by the way, I think is going to have a really good season at Oregon state. I think he's going to love running their offense in Corvallis. Jonathan Smith is doing great things up there. Anyway, back to Clemson. The defense is really good. They need much, much more production out of that offense. They need a more creative offense. Um, They've got Will Shipley, who to me is probably the best player in the ACC um, the kid's just dynamic as a running back, catching the ball out of the backfield, a special teams player. I think he's the best overall player in the conference. Um, there are better players at their position, but overall, for all the different things he can do, I think he's the best player in the conference. So I do think at the end of it, it comes down to, to those two. If there is a third team, I'm going to say it's a long drop-off from number one and two down to the next bunch. 
um, there's a significant gap. I would say it's probably North Carolina, and it's because of Drake May, who is going to get a lot of Heisman attention early on. Now, that having been said, there are big adjustments in the offense. Their offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, left to take the same job at Wisconsin. Uh, he's longtime friends with Luke Fickle, and so you know he went to Wisconsin. Um, and that defense has a lot of work to do. I'm still puzzled as to what Gene Chizik is doing with that defense, and I know a lot of Carolina fans share my concerns. We're going to see a lot about them in week one. They play South Carolina at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, and if you know about Carolina fans, you know that that's going to be predominantly a South Carolina crowd at that mm-hmm. game. Um, Charlotte's closer, you know, to South Carolina than it is to to Chapel Hill, but that's just also the way those two teams show out. The South Carolina fans travel better, um, so I think we're going to see a lot about them. The defense, a lot of questions. Um, I think we're going to like watching Duke. I got to tell you, I, I re- Mike Elko just got a new contract extension, well deserved. People need to check in their quarterback. Riley Leonard, this kid is really, really good because he plays at Duke, because he plays in the ACC, because he was a freshman, a redshirt freshman last year. Not many people really caught on to his game. Strong arm, can throw downfield, can take off running for significant yards. Um, I really like watching this kid play. However, Duke has got a really tough schedule. So they can look really good and even improved over last year and only win six games and barely make bowl eligibility because of their schedule. It's a good team. I really got to tell your audience, check out Duke when they're on. You're going to like watching Riley Leonard. But I think I'm not sold, by the way, for everyone wondering about the U. I am absolutely not sold on Mario Cristobal's turnaround in Miami. I am absolutely not sold. He's a good coach, a decent recruiter, and I think he needs another two years before that program is a championship contender in the conference. You know, you brought up Duke, and uh, mm-hmm. and I will close it up on this. When I, I talked to Eric McLean a few months ago, and I asked him basically the same question, mm-hmm. and he brought up Duke. And actually, he said Duke before North Carolina, which okay. I, uh, that's fair. So, I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of people that cover the, the conference that are liking Duke. So, yeah, yeah. right. Watch Duke. And, uh, told it's been fun. Like I said, we playing 20. Uh, we went about <laughs> 38 here. So it's all good. It's all good. Podcast world. Hey, podcast and YouTube. And I'm not on the radio. I don't have to worry about a break. That's I don't right. have to, I don't have that producer going, you know, <laughs> you're running your own clock. That's it. That's it. Go as long as you want. Uh, but anyways, so it's been fun. Talking ACC, Pac-12, uh, unexpectedly, but uh, it's been sure. fun talking all this stuff, college football with you. Uh, where can the viewers and listeners check you out if they want to follow you online? Well, they can check us out and your written work, of course, as well at lastwordonsports.com. And you go to that college football button, and there is all of our work. As you know, we have, while well, a lot of digital media sites have shrunk and come under misfortune, We have expanded and we have the largest team that we've ever had. We've got 30 writers spread out across the country, uh, really talented writers covering teams all across the country. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. Um, They can find us on Twitter at last word on CFB. And if they feel like arguing with me, because you've seen my Twitter feed, 
I basically don't shy away from argument. Matter of fact, I tend to start some. Uh, they can find me at Tony Bruin on Twitter. When I moved to Charlotte and started covering Wake Forest, I did not change my handle to Demon Deacon Tony or whatever. Tony Bruin on Twitter. Or it's X now, Tony. It's <laughs> the X. What, it's whatever. The bird, well, the used to be bird app. How's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody go do that. And, uh, again, Tony, it's uh, been a lot of fun. Uh, and I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Absolutely. Call me anytime, man.